0: If you'll join with me, today's scripture reading is Matthew 1, 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We began last week's Advent series with Joseph, taking a look at um, Jesus' earthly father, this guardian, and looking at it through his eyes this, this Advent season. And we looked at Jesus' genealogy last week and we're picking it up from verse 18 where Steph just read off. And I want to point out dreams. These dreams that sometimes fun, sometimes scary, sometimes sad, sometimes joyful. And we've all experienced the spectrum of feelings in in dreams. Sometimes they're very real. You know, you wake up and and you're thinking that it just happened. I remember this one time where my wife, she was just so angry at me and I was like, we didn't even start our day yet. Like, how can you be mad at me already? You know, we just woke up and she would ignore me and she was like doing stuff in the kitchen and just like doing her coffee and she was just like really short with me, just saying yes and no and I asked her questions. And so I asked her like, why, why are you so upset at me? Did I, did I do something last night or last week or whatever? And she was like, no, you did something to me in my dream. I was like, Is it real? Like, did I really do that? Or like, you just dreamt that? And so she, she was just like, so mad. And then we had to talk that through. And so then we can kind of laugh about it now. But at the time, she was like really mad. And so I'm in verse 20, when Matthew writes this, but as he considered these things, and what Joseph was dealing with was just really troubling, and it was real. It wasn't just this dream, and he woke up and nothing happened, but he was going to be living through these things. He was really betrothed to Mary, which was a legal binding agreement between these families. And so, within the Jewish culture, a very serious kind of legal document drawn. And so, he's contemplating legally divorcing her because she's pregnant and he knows that he's not the father. And so, not a simple decision because you know his reputation is on the line, his honor, his entire life moving forward, completely turned upside down if he decides to marry Mary. And so Mary's life is already turned upside down. There's no turning back for her. She's, she's already pregnant with who knows whose child, and yet she's betrothed to someone and it's not his child. And so does he want to join her in that? And... I don't know if any of you have questioned this before, but why does Mary's birth to Jesus have to be a virgin birth? I don't know if any of you have wondered that before. I remember thinking that growing up. Like, you know, this story would just be a lot more believable if, you know, it was just two people. And biologically, it works out, right? But, but like this, this story, this way, why did God do this? In Spurgeon's commentary, he wrote this. There was no other way Of his being born, for had he been of a sinful father, how should he have possessed a sinless nature? He is born of a woman that he might be human, but not by man that he might not be sinful. So they're betrothed. And in betrothal, the couple is not formally married, but they are still considered husband and wife. And he knows he can't go through with this marriage because it looks like Mary's been unfaithful to him. And so how is he to trust her moving forward? And he, he doesn't want to shame Mary at the same time, and he, he wants to divorce her quietly. All these different thoughts going through his head, and he gets this dream. My eight-year-old had a nightmare a couple of nights ago, and then she, she came into my room. Some of you have seen her before. If you haven't seen her before, she was here last night at the coffee house, and um, I asked her about it, and then she can trace it back to—there's this book series, you know, Percy Jackson. She can trace it back to reading that. And so she was like, yeah, was this, she's telling me these stories, and, and that's, that's what she kind of thought about. That's what she was considering, and she felt afraid, and so she ended up coming into my room. And then I had to—I I woke up when she came into my room, and I said, close the door, because. I have a 160 pound dog that some of you met last night also. And he snores so loud that, you know, if he comes into my room, I can't get him out. And then he just like snores and my wife gets mad. And that's a real mad, not a dream mad. And so then I was like, close the door, close the door. And he's like, I can hear him coming down the hall. I was like, close. Anyway. So she, she's in my bed and, and, and Joseph was living this actual nightmare. And then he received this dream of comfort, kind of like the reverse of what my daughter dealt with. But he's dealing with a real nightmare and then comforted by this dream. And we know from the scriptures that God communicates using dreams. So what is Matthew communicating to us about Joseph, the guardian of Jesus? Now there's this other very famous Joseph in the Bible, and there are some parallels between the Joseph of the Old Testament and Joseph of the New Testament. Both of them lived through these very dark and challenging times in their lives. Both of them were involved in the salvation of people. Joseph in the Old Testament essentially saves the entire Middle East during famine through his position in Egypt. And Joseph of the New Testament helped save the world by keeping Messiah safe through passage to Egypt. And so Joseph from the Old Testament experienced these divine dreams, right? His own dream, the, the cupbearer's dream, the baker's dream, Pharaoh's dream. He has all these dreams. And Joseph of the New Testament has also experienced multiple dreams, divine dreams, right? The dream that we're reading about here, the dream that warns him about Herod, the, the dream that tells him to go back because. He's informed that Herod died, and the dream that led him to Nazareth. So all of these dreams to save people, to keep Jesus safe. And God was using Joseph in a really mighty way to keep our salvation in Jesus Christ safe. To keep Emmanuel, God with us, safe. It's a huge task, isn't it? when people hire bodyguards, celebrities hire bodyguards and things like that, it's a huge task for them. I have a cousin. He's going to be retiring from law enforcement down in Southern California, but as a side job, he he used to protect celebrities. And he was also hired by jewelry companies to protect jewelry. So like if some celebrity wore a million dollar brooch or something like that, he would be sent to protect the brooch. Just... Huge, immense pressure that he's always having to follow around and keep an eye on things. And here, Joseph is, you're here to protect the Son of God. Not like Secret Service, a ton of people with a ton of resources, one carpenter dude. You're going to protect the Son of God. And so this is a huge task. And yes, Joseph is a big character in the story. He's the guardian. He's the one who receives these dreams. He's the one that is going to protect Emmanuel as a baby and as a child growing up. And so this story of Emmanuel, sometimes we envision in our heads like just this sweet, beautiful, colorful world with all the lights and all the gifts and all these sorts of things. And we look at manger scenes and we're just looking at all the baby in a manger. And we think about Christmas carols. But it's actually a very disturbing time. It's a very uh, scary time, a very dark time, unsettling time, troublesome, very disturbing story. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. We're not sure who was the one who told Joseph that Mary was pregnant with a child. When we read Luke, it makes it seem that Mary just took off to her cousin's house, Elizabeth's house, when she kind of learned this news herself. And why, why did she do this? Because things just weren't safe at home. I know this lady from many years ago who was pregnant and and she had to leave her home because um, it wasn't safe for her at her house. And so when she found out she was pregnant before telling family she actually left to her aunt's house to live at her aunt so that her aunt can kind of keep her safe from the rest of the family and and other people that were just peering in and who, who would gossip about what happened and who would judge her and so she kind of stayed with her aunt she left so who did mary hear this news from or, or she hears it from the angel and so she's she's okay to go but how does joseph process this and How did he hear this news? And whoever he heard it from, this is when that kind of nightmare began for him and all these thoughts and wondering, like what am I going to do? And then he has to think about, she just left? She didn't say anything to me? So it kind of points to how shameful this was, how scary this was for Mary. And then for Joseph to think about, this actually kind of speaks to her guilt. Why wouldn't she come talk to me? She just takes off. And so this troublesome news that he had to deal with at this moment in verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And so Joseph here is described as a just man. What does this mean? He knows the word of God. He desires to live by it. He delighted in the scriptures, and he's a person who sought to live in this just way. And in the scriptures, it tells us to be people of grace, to be merciful people, to be loving people. And so he's a person who recognizes the goodness of God. And Joseph loved the law of God, and now he's faced with this serious problem because he is a person who's serious about living according to the word of God. And so how does he respond? Does he react unjustly and expose Mary in public and shame her, humiliate her? And if he decides to do this, there's some reputation preservation for him, right? Like, she's the one that did it. This has nothing to do with me. And he can just push her away and say, her, 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 and point point his finger to her. So he can kind of save a little bit of face while she's disgraced, humiliated in public. And then that damage to Mary is just an irreversible damage, even though the other way is an irreversible damage too. But then he resolves in his head, I'm not doing that. I'm a just man, and a man who knew God's word, that he would be compassionate and gracious and merciful, and he would do it quietly, even though he's so hurt and doesn't know what's going on, and he would quietly serve her this bill of divorce and save Mary from the public embarrassment, humiliation, shame. And so Joseph is the type of man God will entrust the Son of God to. He's just a high man of character. Someone who who knows the Word of God, he strives to live by it. He understands grace, he understands mercy, he understands Love, he's full of it. Someone who is just, someone who is thoughtful and not reactionary. Joseph is a tough person who can take suffering, take pain, take doubt, and a man who is willing to absorb shame, not just his own shame, but also the shame for his wife, for his son, He's willing to take it on himself. And who Joseph is will be so important when it comes to raising Jesus, to teaching Jesus, to nurturing the Son of God from infant all throughout childhood. Who he is will be so important in the formation of Jesus. And who Jesus has as his earthly father will, will guide him in his humanity as he is tutored by Joseph in the word of God and as a carpenter, as an example of a man of God. And so these questions and observations that Jesus had for the rabbis, if you can imagine, when he came home from synagogue, and he probably had all these questions for Joseph at home. And when he he came back from synagogue or when he was studying from home, asking Joseph these things, you can imagine how wise and knowledgeable Joseph was to pour into his son. And Jesus would suffer great personal pain. He would suffer great personal shame way before the cross. He grew up with this his entire life, being pointed out as like, who's really your dad? You know, kids can be really mean. They think of all sorts of things to say. And he would experience rejection and wouldn't be invited over for Hanukkah celebrations or whatever it is or somebody's bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah because like, we don't associate with that family. That's a shameful family. Throughout his life, throughout his ministry, and Joseph was a great person that God chose to walk through all of those things with Jesus. He was a man who didn't crack under all the pressure. He was a man who, who didn't panic under the stress. He didn't overreact to things. Why is this so important? Because Joseph is trustworthy to be Jesus' earthly father, to be Jesus' guardian on this earth. And we all know that not everyone is trustworthy. Jesus didn't even trust everyone. Right? Not, not even people who believed in him, he didn't trust in them. Take a look at John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. There's a discernment needed before you just trust people. You can't just freely trust. You have to discern. And so can you be trusted with God, with what God has given you in the Lord Jesus Christ? Can God trust you? Joseph was entrusted with Jesus, and it speaks to the character of Jesus And in this Advent season to reflect upon our own trustworthiness of who we are and what we can be entrusted with from God. What will we do with what God has told us, given us, with what God's grace has bestowed on us. And God shaped Joseph to be someone that will be entrusted with his son. Verses twenty twenty one. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, "Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." It's just a mysterious thing. We can't explain this away with science. It's it's a mystery. And there are multiple things in the Bible that just can't be explained away, that they are mysterious. And a big reason as to why things are mysterious, a mystery, is because they're unique. Right? This is a unique conception, and there are no other examples. When we look at things, we try to reference things, and then we try to piece them together that make sense. Or when you're in science, you have a control group or a control sample, and then you can compare to those things, and that's why they're not mysterious anymore. They can figure this out. But this is unique. It's never happened, never going to happen again, and so this will remain mysterious for us. This will remain a mystery. To explain something, there needs to be something like it to help us gain understanding of it. There's nothing else like this. And so it's mysterious. But in this mystery, we're given illumination of many other mysteries in the Bible and in our lives. That the birth of Christ fulfills so many prophecies in the Old Testament. It opens up so many things. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And so the angel redirects Joseph back to the scriptures. Who are angels? Angels are ministering spirits. Right. This angel is ministering the word of God, and here the angel points Joseph to Isaiah 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so the context of Isaiah 7 is it's Ahaz. He's stubborn to ask God for a sign that he's given opportunity to ask God, but he just won't do it. And so by the time we reach Isaiah chapter 9, it's obvious that this son spoken about in Isaiah 7 isn't talking about Isaiah's son or some son of royalty, like Ahaz's son or anything like that. It is talking about Messiah. And so picking up in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For to us... A child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now what is another name for Jesus? We all know it is Son of David. That he's called of that multiple times. Did you know that if you can search throughout all the scriptures, there's only one other person that is referenced as Son of David? It's Joseph. That's it. Jesus and his earthly father Joseph are the only ones in the entire Bible addressed as son of David. And it's right here in verse 20. Joseph, son of David. Why? Why is that reserved just for these two people? Well, David was promised that one would sit on the throne to whom all the other nations in the entire world would come to this extraordinary king, And there would be no other king like him. And so David addressed this descendant as Lord, which is really strange. Because usually you would look at your ancestors and and kind of pay respects to your ancestors. What ancestors looks at his descendant and says, like, Lord? You know, like me looking at my grandson's 10 generations down and addressing that person as Lord, probably not. I'm not that cool. He's just going to be like, Dude. But you take a look at Matthew 22, starting in verse 41. This is when Jesus kind of turns it on the Pharisees and tries to get them to explain, so what does David mean addressing a descendant as Lord? Verse 41. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. And so this is what the entire Old Testament is pointing to. This is why Joseph was addressed as son of David. Because Joseph is a legal heir to the throne of David, and he was appointed as guardian, as earthly father to the son of David, the son of David, that son, the descendant's son. And David knew of this son to whom the world will bow down to, where wise men would come from the east to come worship this baby. Where the good news of the gospel will reach the entire ends of the earth. And this other mystery, this virgin conception. Joseph is told in verse 21 And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We are marred by sin. And there's a great need to be saved from it, and we're incapable of saving ourselves from it everyone is condemned by it and is guilty of its judgment how can there possibly even be salvation for all of us who are sinful and it's only if a person who isn't obligated to to live that perfect sinless life voluntarily comes from that very life of sinlessness and perfection in the presence of God if a person who has no need to live our life to redeem that life or or to die that death, but voluntarily comes down from heaven to earth to live our life and to die our death. And this is what the virgin birth conveys. That someone from heaven and is also from among us goes before God on our behalf And so we can see that without the virgin conception by the Holy Spirit, there isn't a divine part of our Savior, which is absolutely necessary. The Savior has to be of divinity and humanity. So Jesus, the Son of God, takes on our flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And people can't contribute to their own salvation and our fallen flesh makes it necessary for the Holy Spirit to work gloriously and mysteriously in the womb of the Virgin Mary so that the Son of God can assume that human nature and He already has the divine nature. And in the human nature, He lives out a perfect life and dies this substitutionary death for us in your place, in my place, and here is... God's plan from this embryonic form brought to Joseph as an infant. I I don't know if any of you have taken a deeper dive into that hymn that Christmas carol Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's actually quite rich in, in theology. So let me just read this with the context of Matthew 1, verses 18 through 23 for us. I'm not singing it. That, that was reserved for last night. And if you weren't there, you missed it. I, I, I sung beautifully. Hark <laughs> the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time, behold, has come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Come, desires of nations, come, fix us thy humble home, rise the woman's conquering seed, in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeless now efface, stamp thine image in its place, final Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Joseph. The person God shaped to be the right person, at the right place, at the right time. The world was at stake. And what had to be paid was very costly. And so it's why the angels' first words to Joseph in verse 20 were, Joseph, son of David. No one else has been addressed as, like that yet. Do not fear. Do not fear. He has to reassure this because there's this great cost that is coming in, in receiving Jesus Christ. There's a great cost that lives are going to be turned upside down for them to be turned right side up. And that has happened to many of you where your life has just been turned upside down and you have nowhere else to turn but to the Lord. And it's why the angel's first words to Joseph or do not fear can god trust me fully can god trust you fully with what he's given you with what he's called you to there's this very popular hymn it's called trust and obey and there's a line in that hymn that just repeats itself and it's trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in jesus But to trust and obey. This Advent, do you trust in Jesus Christ? And the other side of that is, and can God trust you with everything He wants to give you in His Son, Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this Advent season asking you to show us, reveal to us something deeper that would draw us closer to you, that would build upon the intimacy that we have with you as our Lord. We ask, God, that we would know Jesus more, that we would become more trustworthy and be entrusted with what you have for us. God, we thank you for all these years that you've placed us in our communities to entrust us in ministering your word and ministering to your people. We ask, God, that your Holy Spirit fill us so that we would be able to do more than we are capable of, that we would be doing divine work in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your communion elements, let's take that out and uh, take that together. Uh, if you don't have any, just raise your hand and we'll, we'll get that over to you. We'll first take out the uh, cracker. Symbolizing the body of Christ. That divinity came down to take on human flesh. And we're instructed to take this sacrament until his return. And so we take this in remembrance of Christ awaiting his return. The fruit of the vine, symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us. Take away our sins. Let's take this in remembrance of Christ. Lord Jesus. We're thankful that you give us these tangible signs just to continually remind us. And I pray that it doesn't just become routine as even Advent has for so many, just going season after season, talking about your birth and looking at Luke 2 or passages in Isaiah or Matthew or Mark or whatever it may be that people are going through Advent, that There is an awakening of our spirit and our mind so that this year is not rote, it's not routine, but that we would draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.